Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Callaway Golf. The Apex Iron from Callaway defined a new category of player's irons. They combine the feeling and look of a forged iron with Callaway's leading distance technologies. With Apex, golfers experience an unmistakable leap in performance, and the new Apex is taking perfection even further. Callaway's 360 face cup, which makes everything better, generates industry-leading distance in the new Apex irons, and the unmatched feel will get every golfer's attention. This kind of power, distance, and control is not supposed to feel this great. Apex is in a class by itself. New tungsten weighting in each iron fine-tunes launch and trajectory throughout the set, which delivers a new level of precision in a stunning player's shape. The new Apex is the ultimate forged player's distance iron. The unmatched feel and distance, playability, and control are redefining the player's iron category. Again, once you experience an Apex, nothing else compares. This is Callaway's best for the best. See perfection in every shot with the new Apex at your local golf retailer or visit CallawayGolf.com and see what makes Callaway the number one iron in golf. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's uh, guest, this is a personal highlight of mine, and I'm sure that the, my biggest fan, my dad, will be sitting on his chair eagerly anticipating this, uh, this interview. We're going to get an opportunity to learn more about former NFL great, most importantly for me, Penn State Nittany Lions, <laughs> greatest quarterback ever, and Nashville resident. Kerry Collins. Kerry, how are you today, buddy? I'm great. Good to be here, Bert. Well, well thank you very much yeah. for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, come in here and talk about your life and all of the cool things that you've had a chance to do. Before we delve into the, the, the great stories of your football career, when you were a, a kid, say, I don't know, probably in the 12 to 14 range, right. when you started to realize, I got talent. Right. There's a lot of people that have talent, but then there's a, a work ethic that whether it's instilled by your family or a coach or with it burns inside of you. What was that moment like in your youth where you're like, I got something here. I'm going to maximize whatever I have. Well, I think I knew from an early age that that I was a good athlete and probably better, you know, one of the better athletes, mm -hmm. you know, among my friends and my town, what have you playing basketball, baseball, football. We played all three growing up. And um, I think as, as, I, as I came into my teenage years, um, you know, I had some success early, even as a freshman. Um, you know, I started on, on the high school team as a freshman. Basketball started mm -hmm. as a high school freshman baseball, which a little more unusual in Pennsylvania than, than maybe it is here, you know, in, mm -hmm. in certain places, smaller schools. But um, – um, so I kind of, I kind of, kind of realized that that maybe I was just a little bit different, a little bit better than than maybe, you know, maybe the 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 average kid, mm -hmm. um, and um, but that didn't deter me from from wanting to, to 
um, play all three. You know, I mean, I, we didn't even think about specializing at that at that yeah. time. We put, you know, when football season ended, we played basketball and then we went to baseball. And you know, there there wasn't a lot of off season time spent on anything else. But mm-hmm. um, at, the, at at the end of the day, I mean, I think that I think that helped me be a, be a better overall athlete. But um, but as I you know as I as I, I started growing and I know I was a, I was a, I was a bigger kid, I was a taller kid. Um, you know, even when, even though I was growing fast, you know, I still stayed fast and coordinating and, and, um, and then from a, from a, from a, an ability standpoint, as far as throwing the ball, that just always came really natural to me. Um, you know, I always had a, a strong arm in baseball. Um, you know, I wasn't always a quarterback. Actually, my, my brother was a quarterback and he was a year ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And when he left junior high, I went, uh, and went on to high school. I played. I started playing quarterback, and um, I just naturally just had a strong arm and, and had natural whip and zip on on on, on the ball. So, um, you know, that part of it was always just just kind of second nature and, and pretty easy to me. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Was there a particular coach that believed in you to a level that took you to a place where you felt like you could go? play college football at one of the greatest uh schools in the country certainly um you know my 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 high school coach um jerry slammer there at wilson um you know i ended up moving there my sophomore year um and um you know i I think um i think he saw in me you know some ability but you know we were you know this was like throw it 12 times a game (laughs) run the ball good defense this was hard nose PA steel town football That's you exactly know what I mean right. yep. so it wasn't like oh Carrie's here we're gonna we're gonna you know run Open four wides and, and and throw it 30 times a game yeah literally I mean I threw it 10 10 to 12 times a game um and you know fortunately had a good a lot of good players around me and um you know and we were successful as a, as a, as a high school team we mm-hmm. made to the state finals my senior year and um so um you know it was just it was just more of, you know, I never really, I never really said, wow, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the center of this thing. This is all about me. I mean, I was always such a team oriented guy and player mm-hmm. that, um, you know, from my high school, they really preached that, you know, the team's bigger than, than the individual. And that obviously was the same thing at Penn state. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just enjoyed the work and, 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 um, you know, uh, my mindset was every, t- every time that, that I went out there, you know, it was about getting better as a team mm-hmm. and getting better as a player. And that, that really, you know, carried me through my high school years. That, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, I'm from, I'm from Gettysburg, just south of Gettysburg, sure. a small town. So Penn State was a huge part of my life. And I just think back to, you know, the, the years that I was growing up. So my first football game that I watched was – the 79 Sugar Bowl with right. my with my dad, and that was a brutally heartbreaking uh, scenario for my dad. Right. <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, you had the opportunity to play for arguably – well, he's definitely a Mount Rushmore coach, sure. Joe Paterno. And he, his, uh, his legacy for the, a gigantic part of his life was really magnificent and truly has to be considered one of the greatest role models and leaders in your life. Talk to us about what Joe Paterno, who he was, and who he was as a coach and a leader for you. 
So Joe for me was, um, he to me um, was all about discipline, about doing things the right way, about a certain expectations of, of, of how you do things, mm-hmm. an effort level, a focus um, that not only on the football field, but in, in, in the classroom, around campus, um, because he felt like it was all related, right? If you cut corners in class or you cut corners on campus, you're going to cut corners on the football field, right? To the, you know, Joe, you couldn't walk on the grass. Like if he saw you walking on the grass, like going going to class, like on campus, like he would he would let you have it. It's, you know, you're cutting corners, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, grass isn't meant to be walked on the sidewalk. I mean, you know, it's such a little thing, but obviously with a bit with a big lesson right yeah so um and um you know things about being on time like joe if the meeting started at four o'clock if the meeting was scheduled to start at four o'clock you better be in your seat at 10 till four and and really the meeting's going to start at five till and if you walk in at four till you're late and you got dressed down in front of the whole team. He said, there's a hundred people here and you wasted six minutes of everybody's life. You're responsible for 600 minutes of, of a waste of time. So he put that fear in you mm-hmm. of um, the repercussions, but, but also, I mean, I could count on, on my hand five, you know, less than five times. I've been late for pretty much anything, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's just, but it's a mindset, you know, I, my watch to this day is 10 minutes fast, right? Because I mean, it just, you know, that, that's the way we operated and and, I mean, never late. Um, you know, and, and he, Joe would test you, Joe would, Joe would test you on the practice field and he, he could see how much you can handle and he'd make it. You know, especially for quarterbacks, he would make it hard to, you know, he'd be on you about something, about something, and because he, he wanted to see if you could handle it in practice. If you can't handle it in practice, you're certainly not going to be able to handle it in, in, in a game, yeah. in a big situation in a game. So, But I'll say this. You mentioned before about people that, that were in my corner, and, and I think I, I realized this more than uh, more as I've gotten older and, and kind of look back on things. Like Joe really was – a guy that was in my corner. Like he really wanted, he believed in me probably as much as anybody as a football player than, than anybody else in, in my career. And I mean, what a, what a blessing, right? To have sure. a guy like Joe, you know, but I think he saw something in me that, that maybe I didn't always see in myself. And, um, you know, he, he, you know, he, he really, um, he wanted me to be successful, and he because um, you know he believed in, in in me as a person and 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 my talent. That's interesting. That's yeah. so cool. Man, what a dream that would have to be. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, the, that leads me to the next question, which is, I've always wondered why this was the case. As a diehard Penn State fan all my life, it was three yards in a cloud of dust, three right. yards in a cloud of dust, and let's see what we got after that. <laughs> yeah. And in 1994. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I'd probably even say it did start in 1994, January 1 of 94, when we beat we right. <laughs> when, when Penn State beat UT. That was when I started right. to like on, hey, wait a second. Right. This team is loaded. Yeah. And for the first time ever, when you, we came out 
against USC, a hundred thousand people had a chance to see a different Penn State offense than we've ever seen before. Even with Blackledge, even with Fusina and all the players before, it was so prolific and so amazing. Do you believe that the trust that he had in you was the impetus to open up the offense, or was it a combination of? It was a time for Penn State to do that. Right. What, what did you feel like it was? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, obviously, personnel-wise, I mean, I think we were we were just phenomenal. Um, and um, uh, but but I'll say this, and, and yes, we we did do some things. Like we started, you know, running three and four wides. You know, just just a little bit of a package of that mm-hmm. and different things. But really, ninety-five percent of the time, it, it's it is pretty basic vanilla stuff. It was it was pretty much the stuff they had been running there for for a long time. Mm-hmm. They may have called more passes, but it's not like we were drawing up some crazy route combinations. I mean, we ran a lot of the same things over and over again. We just we were just so talented and executed things so well that that te- you know teams couldn't stop it. Yeah, you know. Um, and when when I look back on you know that year, I think about. My recruiting class was a pretty good class. There's some good players in there. Bucky Greeley, starting center, Kyle Brady, the tight end, uh, some defensive guys, Geltzheiser, Vinny Stewart, mm-hmm. a couple other guys. But that class behind us with, like, Kajana, Bobby Ingram, Jeff Hardings, Marco Rivera, you know, I mean, these guys, phenomenal players. Yeah. Looking back, that's probably the best recruiting class that's, that ever came through Penn State. I mean, they came in good. They got hype when they came in. They still get, stayed good the entire way through and proved themselves in the pros yeah. after that. It was, just, it was so interesting, as certainly as like I went to see so many games. Like, we just never thought we'd ever see anything like that. And that first right. game when we beat USC, like 63-7 to 7 or 63-10, yeah. to 10, yeah. that was like, wow. And then we followed it up real quickly with a – massive blowout of Ohio State. Yeah. And that's when we got on the the bus. Like this is this is gonna be awesome. Yeah. And as we went through the season, there was really there was a I guess a turning point moment in the Michigan game. Well it was the first time we were tested. Correct. And that was an yeah. awesome game. Yeah. What was it like playing in the big house? Uh it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Really? Um just you think, oh my gosh, one hundred six thousand? Because even Penn State at the time, we were like, I don't even know if we were, we were like ninety six. I don't I even think, think it was we were, 96, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to be so loud. It's going to be, you know, and it really wasn't. Hmm. Like, uh, like the way I don't know if it's the way the stadium, what you know, was set or anything, but mm-hmm. like we went to Ohio State the year before and played, and I thought that was a much harder, much harder place to play. Really, um, but. You know what a great game. I mean that Michigan game was that was a great. That was game. a lot of fun. That was that was that was that was a lot of fun. Great game going back and forth. It's kind of one of those perfect college football atmospheres. And um, yeah, it got loud. Don't get me wrong, but but it, it but it was a little more. Um, wasn't quite as wasn't quite as hostile as maybe maybe I thought it was going to be. Interesting. What's the what was the hardest place for? for you to play when you played in college football? Ohio, that, Ohio that, State, That yeah. was the hardest. Yeah, and they were, they were really good. It was my junior year, and, God, it was cold and rainy, and, and they were good. They had, like, mm-hmm. remember, like, Big Daddy Wilkinson, and they had all these guys. I mean, they, they were tough. So, yeah, that, I, that was definitely the hardest. Awesome. When I think of your career holistically mm-hmm. in, as a player, nobody's – like, there's obviously a group of people. But it seems like you are, like, one inch away from celebrating – the greatest victory 
on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. And one of them was the 94 Penn State team where you didn't get a chance to, to play it on the field against Nebraska. Right. And that's got to be gut-wrenching when it comes to talking about who won what and, that and whatever. But then when you were with the Giants and went to the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. you at least got to play it out in the field and you right. play a great Ravens team that was you know, probably one of the two or three greatest defenses of all time. Mm-hmm. When you think back to those moments, those right. huge games like right. that, and when you got to play it out on the field and when you didn't, right. what do you remember most about the the – the, the game, like obviously the Rose Bowl against Oregon and mm-hmm. then the Super Bowl, those are two of the biggest games that you could ever probably think of. Mm-hmm. What were the nerves like and what was the preparation like for you game day? Um, the Rose Bowl was, was different in the sense that that was a game we were supposed to win, mm-hmm. right? And it was really weird how that all played out because Miami had played Nebraska the, the, the night before and Nebraska beats Miami. They're number one in both polls. And, you know, they had the coaches poll and the writers poll. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, like before the Rose Bowl, we kind of already knew f- what our fate was. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Nebraska was number one. They won. They're going to get the national championships. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, they're going to be the national champions. So, um, so we the sense for us was, okay, we're, we're playing um, – an Oregon team, which, you know, is not, I mean, at the time wasn't like your USC's of the world sure. or, you know, even like Washington was really good back then mm-hmm. and a couple other teams. So it was kind of a weird vibe going into that game um, because it was a game we were supposed to win. There's a little bit of sting that was left left out because of what happened the night before with Nebraska. Yeah. So, but there, but um, once the game got started, it, it all became about, you know, hey, we want to finish it. We want to finish this off the yeah. right way and finish the season off the right way. So, you know, people ask me all the time, and I'm, like you were saying, I'm, it, it was it was tough. It was tough, but th- to me, that's an objective perspective. Yeah. You know, for us, we looked at all the work we put into and all the, you know, the uh, uh, the the tough games and 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 everything and 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 the big wins and throughout that season and. Um, to to look at it any other way than hey we did all we could do, we um, you know we did something that a lot you know that you know I don't think it'd been a while before a team had gone unbeaten in the, in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an unbelievably successful year. Let's not let that take away from um, from what we did because there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. We did all we could do. We 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 really. Won all the games, came back in games, won the easy games, the tough games. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's just that's just part of it. Yeah, what no they doubt. Do. And then as far as the, you know, the Super Bowl goes, I mean, gosh, I mean, yeah, it, it, part of athletic competition is you're going to get beat sometimes, and you, and and things aren't going to go the way you, you want them to go. And that was just one of those games. And, yeah. and credit to them, like you said, they were an unbelievable defense, and really. Of anything in my career, that was probably the biggest growing experience for me as a quarterback is losing that game the way we did and, and <clears throat> me having the, the day that I, uh, that I had. Um, you know, I feel like I got better as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. I got better as a, as a professional, as a competitor, because that was the biggest game on the biggest stage in pretty much all professional sports, and it was a terrible day for me. But you know what? The sun came up the next day, and um, 
you know, in some ways it was liberating because it's like, you know what, it can't really get any worse than that for, for me as a, as a quarterback, right? Yeah. So, um, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to work and, and um, you know, try and, try and it, try to, you know, help me be a court, better quarterback, and I think it did. Yeah, no question. Yeah. And then you came to Tennessee, mm-hmm. and we had the, the greatest start. We obviously we had a bunch of great teams. We had a great start, 12-0, yeah. to start the season. And that was a that was the end of like the the year that took Nashville and, and Tennessee to the the Super Bowl was the end of those players right. with you know the Eddie Javon Curse uh, era, but you know Jeff Fisher was a mainstay here for such a long time mm-hmm. and of all the things that I remember hearing about him because I taught Mike Heimerdinger golf right and Dinger was like the biggest fan of Fisher and he said you know he's if there's ever been a player's coach. Yeah, it's um, Jeff Fisher. No Talk yeah. to us about what it was like to play for Jeff Fisher. Jeff, um, and especially for me coming when I did, kind of later in my career, um, you know, Jeff expected professional football players to act professionally and to do their job and and to know what their job is and to do it. And um, he's very. He had such a good understanding of the game. And the the nuances of the game, um, you know, from a from a sideline perspective, probably not probably. He was the best head coach that I played for of using timeouts. I mean, little things like that, but but they, but they you know they're being big things in a lot of ways, using timeouts, managing games, that sort of thing. And um, uh, so you know, for for me, I mean, Jeff and the Titans here came at a perfect time in my career because. Um, you know, obviously I was getting a little bit older and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I wasn't a full-time starter, you know, when I, when I came here, knowing that Vince was here. And, and so, um, you know, I, I, from a personal level, like I really liked him and Dinger and, mm-hmm. and, and all those guys. And, and, uh, um, it, it, uh, you know, I, I always really thought a lot of Jeff and, um, you know, th- his longevity here says a lot because, it's really difficult being a head coach in the NFL. I mean, I'm stating the obvious. I realize mm-hmm. that, but you know, to stay in one place for that long, uh, you know, really says a lot about about him and his character. Interesting. Yeah. I think that one of the things that people I end up in conversations with a lot is, what do you believe? Being that you were one of the very best college football players, mm-hmm. and for a long time a mainstay in, in the NFL as one of the top quarterbacks, what's the difference in coaching? a great college player mm-hmm. versus a great professional player. What's the differences that the coaches have to take into consideration between a 21-year-old gunslinger at Penn State and a 29-year-old, you know, superstar football player in the NFL? I had a conversation with a coach named Chet Parlavecchio, and he came in under Mike Munchak's staff. Um, it was after I was gone, but I, you know, I ended up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and – uh, and he came from college and went to pro. I said, man, what, what's the difference in, in coaching college kids and co- coaching pros? And he said, you know, really, even when I get to the pros, they're still kids. And, and I, I, get, I get that now. Like, I get that. Like, I retired when I was 39. But, you know, I think back and, like, you know, I, you know, I was still a kid, you know, I mean, up until, you know, to the point being, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, coaches feel like they have to, you know, they're still managing young men and, and kids in a sense mm-hmm. to a certain point. And then, you know, for me, I felt like, you know, that got to be about 28, 29, 
you know, where I really felt like my experience allows me to come in to work every day and know what to do and how to do it. And, um, and you, and you just, at that point, you just know how to play, right? Huh. Like, you know, earlier in my career, you know, you kind of, especially when I was a rookie, I mean, totally playing by the seat of your pants and, um, and I think obviously it comes at different points for different people, but, um, you know, to really understand what the game is and, and, and how to handle the grind and, um, to, you know, to really establish yourself as, as somebody who can be reliable and accountable consistently. Mm -hmm. For me, it took, you know, it took me well into my twenties. Um, so, so I think there's a sense of, Hey, there's still a lot of coaching that, that needs to be done for these, for, for guys coming out of college and, you know, they're raw, but you know, like I always tell people, you know, it's one thing to get to the NFL. It's a whole nother thing to stay there. And it's probably like that in a lot of professions. I realize that, Mm -hmm. but but I think, you know, particularly in the NFL where, um, I mean, there's, you know, not every first rounder plays 15 years, right. Or 10 years or, you know, I don't, you know, the average career is what? 3.3. It's 3.3 years. So, um, you know, injuries and a lot of that thing come into, into play there, but, um, gosh, the, the the ones that that stay a long time at some point figure it out. Yeah, you know, figure out what it takes to to, to be a good professional. It took me several years for that, um, but um, you know, uh, the ones that 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 figure it out are the ones who, who play a long time. Interesting. Yeah. I remember in two thousand one, going back to your what you learned about the Super Bowl. I remember in an interview with David Duvall, who had just lost to Tiger in the. Actually, it was 2000, mm-hmm. and Tiger won the Open Championship by eight, and Duvall made this huge comeback and then made like a nine on 17 at the road hole. Right. And the the media was reading him a, a, a riot act about how he had choked and how mm-hmm. it, you know, he had it right there, and then it right. just kind of let it go right through his fingers. And Duvall's like, I I, I don't I think that you that you media people do a really good job of tearing down people. Mm who leave it all out there. Right. I did the best that I could with what I had. I made a great run. And I don't look at what happened today as a failure. I look at it as a chance for me to grow so that maybe I can win this next year, which is exactly what he did. And there's some, and in a world we live in today, these kids, they spend a lot of time looking at the highlight reel called Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and mm-hmm. Snapchat and whatever. But there is a lot to be said about learning from struggle that is that's not very sexy that's not right. uh not what people want to read about or or do but at the end of the day struggle is essential to keep moving forward when you think of struggles and and, and not everything has gone perfect in your career right. what are some of the struggles that built you into who you are today and who you want like you pass it on to your kids and all the people that you know well, I certainly, um, you know, I'm going back to my college days, going back to my high school days. When, you know, I transferred high schools, and um, you know that wasn't easy. Um, then ended up, um, you know, uh, being being a, a growing experience for me. Um, certainly in college, you know, my, you know, I, up until the last half of my junior year. Like it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. Like I had, you know, a couple injuries, and um, you know, I was back and forth with another guy. And, and was that Tom Bill that you were with? No, Tommy. Tom Bill was ahead. He was a senior when I was a freshman. Oh, okay. It would have been Tony Sacco was ahead of me, oh, and then John Sacco came in. 
Um, and so, um, you know, there was, you know, a fair amount of adversity in college that I had to, had to go through. Um, but when it finally clicked, I was, I was ready for it and I was stronger and I was stronger for it because of that. And then in the pros, um, such a big learning curve. Um, and, um, my, I remember, you know, I played a lot of my rookie year. I started 13 games, came back in my second year. Um, and we had a great year with Carolina. I think we ended up, uh, maybe 12 and four, mm -hmm. I think, uh, won a divisional game, went to the NFC championship game, played the Packers up there, lost that game. Um, and I remember at one point in my second year, just being so supremely confident. Um, and I remember talking to my agent, we were out in San Francisco and it was a big divisional game as at the end of the year. And, and uh, um, we, uh, you know, we, we were, we were right there neck and neck and I was talking to him the night before the game. And, um, I said, I said, Dave, this is easy. Like, this is easy. He's just kind of looking at me like crazy. And the next day I go out and I throw, I was like 24 for whatever, 300 some yards, three or four touchdowns. I mean, that's how that's. And within four games of the next year, I was on the bench. You know what I mean? It was such highs and lows um, that um, I had to learn to deal with that kind of adversity of the ups and the downs of, of just playing in the NFL, mm -hmm. right? And I think that, that kind of is a broad, that, that, that applies to everything in, in, in life, but, but especially in sports. As a competitive athlete, there's going to be ups and downs, and there's going to be failures. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the big, to your point, is, is how do you react? How do you, how, can you handle those? I didn't handle them well early in my pro career. I was hanging too much on the wins and losses. And you get too high with the highs and too low with the lows. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to Joe. The first thing that pops in my mind is Joe, never get too high with the highs, never get too low with the lows. Um, and th that allowed me to be more successful as my career went on, went on because, um, you know, I've really stayed much more of, a, of an even keel. I wasn't um, – my life what didn't hang on every win, win and loss. Mm -hmm. And I, I just went into that mode of, I'm just gonna get, I'm gonna keep getting better. I'm gonna keep getting better. I'm, this is all about getting better. And um, that, that helped me play to, to my best mm -hmm. um, more consistently moving, moving forward. Um, I mean, that, that um, you know, so I agree, I mean, Going back to the Super Bowl thing, um, I mean, that was a pretty big beat. I mean, that was a pretty bad beat, right? Mm -hmm. um, and two weeks before, you know, we won the NFC championship game, championship game against the Vikings, 41 nothing. Everything went right. It was a great day. It's probably one – not probably. It is my favorite pro, career, pro memory experience. And then it was the exact opposite two weeks later yeah. in the Super Bowl. So um, – but, um, you know, I had a good friend who had a really good junior tennis player, and, and he said, you know, you're either winning or, lear or learning. 
You know, and I think that's a great approach. Yeah. I think that's an awesome approach. And I think you you'll learn. I, I always learn more from losses than I did from wins. Because when you win, you think, oh, I things everything's all right. You know, yeah. but um, you know, it's it, it's never always that way. And and so, um, you know, I always looked at adversity and losses as as opportunities to to learn and 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 truthfully at times to gain respect. You know, yeah. people as a leader, I mean, people would watch me, teammates would watch me and see how I would react. You know, did I play differently when uh, we're in a tight ball game or, you know, when we're down three touchdowns? If I'm playing the same when we're down three touchdowns as I am when, when we're in a tight ball game, like, people start to think I, I can rely on Kerry to, to pretty much show up and, and play hmm. at a high level every time he steps, he, he's, he's out there. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. Yeah. When... When you think about, you know, we'll shift here to, to golf. Golf is a uh, yeah. a very individual sport, but yeah. yet it still revolves around processes. Yes. And multiple, your best round of golf still had uh, an, a valley in it where you had to ha- kind of hold it together. And you made a couple, <laughs> made a couple yeah. of critical putts to kind of keep your yes. score lower than it usually gets. Yes. I know you love the game. How did when did you get introduced to golf, and how did it all of a sudden become this significant part of what it is that you you do? My my dad and my brother are both golfers. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad played a little competitively in high school um, and and uh, tried out in college. I don't think he had he had some health issues. My brother uh, and I were thirteen months apart, so um, we grew up playing. You know the public courses in you know southeastern PA. Mm-hmm. We hacked it around. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. I mean we. You know my brother um, actually was a really really good golfer. He, he he was a scratch golfer at one point. It never it wasn't as naturally easy for me as it was for him and 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 my dad at, at one point. Um. Um. So. A lot of great memories growing up of just me and my brother and my dad out there playing, you know, goofing around, playing golf, you know, uh, hacking it around at, at, at um, you know, courses back there in our hometown. Um, you know, and I would, I would, I played, you know, fairly consistently um, going through college into the pros. Play, I'd play a lot in the off season. Never got really, really good. You know, I don't, you know, I'm not sure my mindset. I've never been a really detail-oriented person. Like, I've always just kind of played by feel and instinct, and you know, I, you know, I was never you know very mechanical with my swing. You know, I was kind of all over the place, and never really had the mindset to really dial in and and be consistent. Sure. Um, so, um, towards the end of my pro career, um, I, I played. Um, and when I retired in 2011, I said, okay, I'm going to get good at golf, right? This is what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to grind away, play golf. And and I did, and that lasted for about four months. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know what? Like, I need to do something complete. Like, I just retired from football. Obviously, I've been doing it my whole life. I'm done with golf, right? Started playing tennis, uh, did some other things, Um you know, so there was, a, there was a period of about five years where I played golf maybe ten times. And there were probably charity events, you mm-hmm. know, or, or something like that. And then about two years ago, 
for whatever reason, like I, I got back in, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you know what? Like I'm ready, I'm ready to go back and, and, and I'm just going to just play, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I'm not going to, you know, and you know, it was a struggle at first. And then as I started playing, like I started really improving, like I really started getting better. Um, you know, my handicap got under, uh, under 10, you know, and I started seeing incremental improvements. Um, and now I'm at a three, six. Wow. Good. Yeah. Um, I've had two under par rounds and, um, I think, um, what you mentioned before about, uh, you know, there's a, there's a point in the round where, I mean, I, I shot 200 on Natchez and like it, it could have been a 66, you know? I mean, I had, I probably missed four birdie putts within 15 feet to, you know, and I shot 68 to yeah. par 70. And then I had, I shot 100 legends on the North course, uh, here a little while back, a few weeks ago. Again, could have been, I mean, could have been, should have been, right? Yeah. But that's the way I look at golf. It always, you know, it, always, it could have been, every round, like, could have been better, but it always also could have been a lot worse, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, I think, you think about an up and down you made or, or something like yeah. that. So, um, you know, and this, this applied for, this applied to football, golf, whatever. I really have gotten better and good at focusing on the process and let letting the process, you know, take care of the outcome yeah you know um but um you know it's what i love about golf is it's just the challenge i mean the challenge of hey what am i going to shoot today mm-hmm. right what am i going to shoot today and you know i'm constantly thinking about you know getting how to get better and you know what's going to take me to the next level and and um um, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that's going to go to the range and just pound a bunch of balls. Sure. Like that's not my DNA. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that, that becomes counterproductive for me. Yeah. Like I try and eliminate, and I did this in football too. Like I tried to eliminate anything that I didn't need to think about. And if I go, if I go, if I step over the ball and I got five swing thoughts in my head, it's probably not going to be, uh, it's not going to be good. It's not, it's not going to be good. So, you know, I try and find one thing two at the most, you know, where just kind of more fundamental things, um, that, that I, that I, I find and are working for me and I, and I try and, um, try and use that, but you know, I don't, I don't take a lot of lessons, you know, I haven't taken a lesson in, I don't know how long. Right? Interesting. So yeah. like I, it's all, you know, and I, I know I would probably benefit from it. I would probably benefit from getting on video and, and the track man, maybe not to, you know, whatever, I don't know. But, um, you know, that to me, um, you know, thinking long, thinking, thinking about things too much instead of just, just, just going and playing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I, when I pl- have my best rounds, it's when I'm, I'm, I'm just playing. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm in a rhythm, I'm in a groove. And, and you're, you're probably, I can, I can imagine that you get real good at the next shot mentality. Oh yeah. You just next shot. What do I got? What do I have to do? And then it's the process. The process is next shot mentality. Right. Right. And I would believe, because I'm, I'm, this is what I'm, I'm a huge believer in this particular phase. Once you have a repeatable circle, right? Even if it's not as pretty as Rory McIlroy or Tiger Woods, right? As long as you have something that's repeatable and predictable, as in the curve that it's going to fly, right? You would be much better served playing 18 holes, keeping reasonable statistics like how many fairways you hit, how many greens you right. hit, 
And I have a huge mantra when it comes to getting to play college-level golf, which is you have to have 14 tee shots with your driver or the tee club Mm -hmm. on par fours and par fives that are unpenalized and unobstructed. Mm -hmm. If you pull a wedge out, whether it's from 119 yards or 9 yards, you only hit a wedge once, and you never have any three putts. And if you Mm -hmm. subtract all your penalties, all your extra wedges, and all your three putts, I find it nearly impossible to shoot over 75. I, I totally hear that. So yeah. after you've done all your – you've played 18 holes. And mm-hmm. like I said, as long as you have a repeatable circle and a predictable curve, right? you're like, okay, four penalized tee shots, right? one extra wedge, two three putts. I'm going to go get a small bucket of balls, and I'm going to go out here and see if I can't control my driver, and then go home. Mm-hmm. Right. And then tomorrow you have a good thought for your driver, mm-hmm. and you're just going to rely on – your processes the next day, no penalized tee shots, no extra wedge shots, five three putts. Right now, you go out, drink three balls down. I was terrible lag putting from 50 feet. Mm-hmm. I hit a bunch of you know, medium quality iron shots, right. but I got to be able to get these up and down in two. Right. Too many three putts, work on your lag speed, and you just constantly build it one brick at a time. Yeah, because there's all the things that start to happen in golf. You start to remember you've already been here before. Right. I mean, I don't have it today. So instead of forcing five iron to the flag, I'm just going to put it in the middle of the green. Right. And then you two putt. And all those good days right. are an accumulation of the bad days of the past. Right. Where you're like, okay, I can do this. i got to keep – I don't have my stuff today, but I can still shoot a good score because I'm going to keep the ball below the hole. Yeah. I'm not going to do anything stupid. I'm just yeah. going to kind of play safe. Yeah. And wait for that moment where kind of the good things start to happen. Right. And then it starts to happen. Yeah. And many of the greatest rounds of golf that I've witnessed as a coach and done as a player generally started out with a poor range session getting loose. <laughs> and then reduced, yeah. reduced the expectations to, can I find this tee shot? Right. right. <laughs> and then right. get out on the golf, in the middle of the first fairway. I'm like, got to hit in the fairway. Yeah. Now, I'm just going to put this on the green. Right. And you hit it on the green. Isn't that interesting. Yeah. And then you go over a 40 foot. I'm like, man, yeah. I'm just going to roll it down here nice and close. Just kind of make it easy. Yeah. Oops, it goes in. Going in. Yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Never would have thought I'd make birdie hit as bad yeah. as I'm hitting it. And slowly but surely, right. enough things happen and you stay with the process. Next thing you know, you're locked in. Yeah. And 45 minutes ago, you couldn't even hit it on the driving <laughs> range. And now you're, you're taking off. Yeah. And it's kind of funny how life, when we start getting into the result, totally ruins us ruins it because a lot of the things that are results aren't really in our control right and yet we get we get a lot of rewards when things go good and a lot of negative when things go bad but it is that process that allows the freedom of everyday performance yes but like you said that that means you have to be able to put things behind you like bad holes bad that that's the thing about football that i think translates into golf so well in all athletic endeavors is being able to put even in, in the NFL you're really only as good as your last game yeah as the performance you had in your last game right whether it be n- not only your last game but even within a game like you have to put interceptions behind you you have to put touchdowns behind you because what happened in the past that's gone yeah like, okay, what now? What, what, you know, yeah, that was great. Or that was, you know, good. But so constantly 
in the NFL, like there was this, this sense of constantly having to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. Day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out. Series in, series out, right? Yeah. But, but it, it, it's all about being able to return to a high level, you know, of performance regardless of what happened in the past, yeah. good or bad, right? And same thing on the golf course for, for sure. Yeah. Okay, that was a bad hole. What am I going to do? You know, am I going to let it tank the rest of my round? Or am I going to, you know, am I going to grind away on this next shot? Yeah. You know, am I, gonna, am I just going to hit, hit the, my, my next shot as well as I can hit it and execute it as well as I can hit it and then, and then do the same thing after that? Mm-hmm. The, uh, this, this is really, uh, this just landed on me as you were talking that of uh, having a short memory. Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like there's, that is one of the intangible gifts that the great athletes have that the ones that, and I'm sure you've played with plenty of super athletes that didn't make it right? because they are, they get down when things are down to the point where they can't, they can't get out of their own head. Right. And they can also have the potential to when they're having a good day, go into the next play, next shot, so to speak, right. overconfident. Right. How did you learn, or what was the impetus for you to learn how to have a short memory? Well, we never forget. Yeah. Right? But are you confident enough to handle an embarrassing episode, uh, an embarrassing athletic episode? Mm -hmm. Right? Um. Can you, are you confident enough in yourself? Do you believe in yourself enough to um, be able to put whatever that was, you know, in, in whatever place you needed to put it so you, you can move forward and return to a good level of playing? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot, of, a lot of guys can't handle, like, the embarrassment. The embarrassment. Like, I'm, I know a lot of people when I threw four interceptions in the Super Bowl – or like Carrie's done. I know. I know. People said that to me. Mm-hmm. It's like I thought you were done. Like I, I did not think you'd be able to handle that. And I was like, well, yeah. it's just it's sport. It's it's, it's it, being able to maintain perspective. Like I think one of the greatest things I heard. Who, who was Tiger's mental coach at one point? Who was that? Well, there's Dr. Jay Brunza. Okay. Dr. Jay Brunza was the military's top hypnotherapist to help people overcome PTSD. That was okay. the book that he was hypnotized hundreds of times okay. for optimum performance. Okay. And then he's really not had any. Who's it? Foley? Sean Foley was his coach. His was his coach. coach. Okay. Swing coach. Sean Foley is very introspective and a thought. So, thoughter, thoughter. one of the things I heard him say one time was, um, um, it's got to mean everything and nothing to you at the same time. And I attribute that to him. I think, I think that was right. Yeah. Wow. It's got to mean everything to you and nothing at the same time. And as an athlete, like that, that, like I got that. Like, um, can you, can you like, it's almost like not caring, but yet caring so much, like caring so much about it. That, that you're able to, like, have the focus and the passion for it, uh-huh. but yet 
um, not letting that be a deterrent, mm -hmm. right? Or a detriment, like a detrimental part of, of your performance. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and like, I get that, like, um, and that's what allows you to come back. Like, and that's what allows you to, 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 um, you know, handle adversity. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, and, and really what that comes down to, I think is separating the emotion out of the game or, yeah. your, or your performance. And I, and I think there's room for that. Like, I know I did that. Like, I always used to say to myself, just be cold and calculating. You know what I mean? And, you know, and, you know, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to see it and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make the best read I can make and I'm going to put it in the best spot, you know, best spot that I can. And instead of the emotion of the whole thing, holy crap, there's 80,000 people here. Yeah. There's, you know, there's, you know, how many millions watching at home? You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, if I, if I screw up, like, what are people going to say? You know what? And so like, you, you can't like, that can't be part of your, your MO. That can't be part of how you do it because I mean that, that you'll just, you'll go nuts. That's just interference. It's just interference. Yeah. It, it takes away. And, um, so while, but at the same time also, um, having, you know, having the, 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 the feeling of, I love doing this. Like, I love this challenge. It's such a great challenge. And, you know, I'm going to play as hard as I can. And like, I think I was always a big practice guy. Okay. I love practice. I, I saw the benefit in practice. I played as hard in practice as I, as I did in the game. And that comes a lot from Joe. Like mm -hmm. Joe, Joe was a big stickler on that. Like, you know, and, and that was, and all, of all the great teams I've been around, they were all good practice teams. Like they all, when they practice, like you couldn't tell a difference between a Wednesday practice and, and game day. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I always believe in that. I, 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 every time we, like I stepped on the field, like I felt like I had to give, you know, it was maximum effort, ma maximum focus because you get in the game and then it's, it's, I'm going to say it's easy, but it's easy. You're right? already there. Like, so, you know, I talked to, you know, like I preach with my daughter, she's a tennis player. And it's like, if you can, if you can set a standard of focus and, and effort in practice that, um, that, you know, that when you step on the court, every time you're going to play that way with that level of focus and effort, when you get, you get in, in, in a match, like you can automatically go to that level and, and, and bring it up at any time. And it's going to be good enough. Mm -hmm. Does that make, does that make Absolutely. sense? Absolutely. So, and that helps when, when things are going crazy and it's a tough, if, you know, it's a tough match or, or you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, uh, uh, a dicey point, you know, and mm -hmm. things aren't going well or, you know, whatever. If you can find, you know, if you can get back to that and know that that's good enough for you, for, you know, you may not win, but it's it's going to give you the best chance of of you know of to win or to give uh, you know or to get yourself back in the yeah. match or stay in the match. Mm -hmm. Like that's pretty valuable. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah, there were there are two things there. Um, one I remember on the driving range with Neil O'Donnell and Eddie George, and I can't remember if Eddie said it to Neil or Neil said it to Eddie, yeah. but they said something similar. You said you have to leave it all on the field. And then leave it on the field. Mm -hmm. 
I think it was Neil to Eddie, but it may have been Eddie to Neil. We were just yeah. on the driving range, and I was I taught Neil a lot, in, right. maybe five or six years ago. Yeah, and uh, they were just talking back and forth, and I thought that was pretty profound. And then one of the things that I I ask of my team and all the all the players that I I coach individually outside of Ensworth here is that I want you to to make it your disciplines and your processes so good that you actually have to shake the hand of somebody who beats you, not look in the mirror to see somebody who beat mm. you. Yeah, I love that. It is way better to shake the hand of the person yeah. who is able to overcome your processes, your disciplines, and your work ethic than it is to have to look in the mirror and talk to the person who didn't follow their processes, disciplines, and talents to get there. And of all the things that you said that struck me as profound, like that was a huge thing, was adversity is when you train correctly, mm. it takes way more to knock you off your mental plan. But so many people don't put the discipline into practice, golf, tennis, basketball, football, whatever, because they feel like they can raise their game mm. to the level required Mm-hmm. In the moment, and the Navy SEALs say, "You don't rise to the level; you fall to the level of your training." Lowest level training, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. "Wow!" So then I think back to Tiger was unbelievable in his practice, but he can't do it anymore. Right. So Jason Day is this unique guy who, when he goes to a, uh, his home course, right. they'll leave him a big, gigantic, like the four hundred ball bags right or the you know little bucket and he only hit like 40 balls and they sit back and mesmerize because he goes through his full shot routine and his visualizations and practice mm. every shot as if it's the shot but he only hit 40 balls in four hours mm. wow really and he'll go through his putting as if he's gonna make he's gonna set aside time for short putting yeah and he'll go through he'll one ball mm-hmm. he'll put it down he'll mark it he'll read it he'll go through everything that he would normally do to win a masters at so and so country club on a tuesday at four o'clock in the afternoon interesting and when i tell it to these kids they're like well that's because he's jason day and he he, he needs uh, to no uh, that's a discipline that starts right uh, now if you want to be great right and figure out how great you can be right. at the end of the day yeah, um, yeah. There, there's no corners on effort. None. Right. That's right. Well, as we shift out of all of the great things that you you put into your life to be as great as you could be, there's a lot of things that we need to do to recharge because we can't just grind, grind, grind mm-hmm. all the time. And in my history of understanding humankind and what brings people a recharge of the batteries is mm-hmm. things that bring a whole lot of people together for a common cause like a Penn state football, like NFL teams, college teams, live music concerts, the things that bring 80,000 people together mm-hmm. and all of a sudden tear down race, gender, fi- you know, financial situations to just the general love of something. When you think to, to music mm-hmm. for you, What's your favorite music? My favorite music is 90s era grunge. Yes. Another reason to put you in my top of all time. That's my favorite era of music as well. What's your favorite band in that era? Uh, Soundgarden. 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 
Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. And, and, um, it's the last time, like it's the last era that good music was made. No question about it. Like, what is this? Like, what's going on now? What's going on now? It's an embarrassment. Like people played their own instruments. Like they didn't have all this, you know, technical, you know, where you can just, people played their own stuff, came up. I mean, such better creative time for music, in my opinion. And I think music is lost right now because they can't figure out how to make the money that they were making in the day because there's no album sales. No question. And they get such a teeny bit of Spotify and iTunes and stuff. And I think that now they're just kind of like, well, I'm not even sure that they figured it out yet. Right. And, you know, the people that are figuring it out, they're, they're still writing yesteryear's songs because now they realize their big money's in concerts. Right. And, and the Bremen to sell off the shirts and the hats and what right. have you. And, you know, there are just there's not many people that have made it in the new version of it. Taylor Swift has, yes. And Adele has, yes. Right. But, like, not many just like a handful just a handful yeah. and you know that's the thing it's like with Soundgarden you know Chris Cornell passing away last year he yeah. was such a an, he his voice was his own organ I mean his own instrument it was yeah. unbelievable I mean, no that guy's yeah of all your sound is, is Bad Motor Finger your favorite what's your favorite Super song? Unknown Super Unknown yeah yeah, yeah. golly I love uh, so, yeah, I know they were, they were phenomenal I was I was a huge Guns N' Roses fan, and I saw yeah. them open up for Guns N' Roses back in 1992. Right, and uh, <laughs> yeah. that was so yeah. so amazing. They were so good. Yeah, uh, and I think underrated because they kind of got overwhelmed in popularity with Nirvana and Pearl Jam. <laughs> they did, yeah. And they, you know, they'd had a little history before that, you know, and and um, but uh, um, gosh, what a I mean, uh, you know, they they weren't. You know, like you said, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, they were kind of the face of grunge, you know, and 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 Soundgarden was kind of, you know, right. But man, I, I just, Soundgarden. like, again, his voice and, and just, you know, the guitar, the guitar riff, I mean, they awesome. Yeah. Like, they were the steak and potatoes of grunge. Yeah. Like, that, you knew what you were going to get every yeah. single time Soundgarden came out. Yeah. yeah. They were, they were going to bring it. Hard, no question. There wasn't much softness in there. No, a little bit in Super Unknown, but they were all really high quality songs there. Yeah, but they brought it like Nirvana. You knew that you were going to get a different level of angst, and Pearl Jam was going to take you up and down between mellow and rocking, mellow and rocking. But Soundgarden was like what it's like to go see ACDC. Right, just in your face. It's two hours and forty minutes of just ripping it at you. And they had a little bit of that heavy metal influence in there because I think they came a little bit earlier, you know what I mean? That's right. And uh, um, But yeah, I mean, gosh, what... You know, it's funny, my daughter's 15 and... You know, I got I got her listening to like you know, <laughs> Lithium on Sirius yeah. XM. You know, it's like <laughs> the Crunch right. Channel, like right. 90s on Nine, you know, all this yep. stuff. And you know, she's like, "Man, it's pretty good music back then." And I'm like, "Yeah, it was good music, man. This stuff nowadays, man, is terrible." Yeah, it's terrible. It's so like, interesting. Um, what a great time though, man. You know, I mean, you know, it was back and forth social media, and, and you know, you think back, and it's like, man, it was just more simpler and and more pure back. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, no these days, kids have so much to deal with, and you know, social media. I'm like, gosh, man, it'd be hard to be a teenager and be a kid now. Yeah, it's like it's 
personally, you can't really, you don't know. Not if a lot you're going of fun. Any, yeah. Yeah. It's not nearly as fun. You're always trying to compare. Right. You're always trying to throw your highlight reel out there every day. Yeah. It's got to be exhausting. Got to be. Because, and what I try to tell my own personal kids is that it's a, it's a bizarre sense of insecurity to throw out for security. Right. It's so bizarre. Right. Um, that I, I, I that my, my kids aren't on it yet. So thank goodness they're yeah. 13 and 11. Right. And I'm not sure that they're overly interested because they're now yeah. at an age, like there's this weird age, like now at 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 ish. Yeah. They're watching their younger, I mean, their older brothers and sisters struggling right. socially. Right. Like right. it's now been about a t- eight to 12 year run of social media that is now they're starting to see the cancers. Right. And they're like, I'm not sure that that's really what, yeah. what I'm going to be doing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's, I cannot imagine because I remember, um, you know, back in my day, it was like the music festivals, like Lollapalooza right. and Horde and then like the big, big concert shows like Guns, Metallica, Faith No More right, and, and right, stuff right. like that. That kind of stuff doesn't happen. And now like Lollapalooza is like a two-day event in Chicago yeah. instead yeah. of the big circus that it was. Yeah. What was the best concert you've ever been to? Uh, I went to see Rage Against the Machine and U2 in Clemson. South Carolina. Wow. Yes. Together. Yes. <laughs> Zoo TV. Oh, man. Zoo TV. Rage, man. Rage is right out there for me. Oh, yeah. They're awesome. Yes. Um, you know, you uh, 2 was phenomenal. Uh, what a show. It was great. Like, that's interesting because, like, that's two pretty different yeah. uh, bands that politically charge yes. their their stuff, but U2's more cerebral and uh, Rage Against the Machine as well. Rage Against the Rage Machine. Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've not, I've not seen Rage live yeah. um, because I had the opportunity and I, they came on at the exact same time as Tool, and Tool's my favorite band. Right. And I chose to see Tool. Um, but I've seen them on like on on YouTube and whatever. Yeah. What was their energy level like on the on the stage? Oh man? my gosh! Oh, they they bring it every time oh, too. Absolutely. I mean, just um, Zach De La Rocha was just all over the stage and and just in your face. And uh, I mean, uh, that that you know, there's so much hate and angst in their music. You know yeah. what I mean? And mm-hmm. that it's just, I mean, it is raw and powerful. I don't agree with politically. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, right. but at the time, I didn't care. You know, yeah. this is just an awesome it, music. It you know what awesome I mean? I, I didn't really know what they were saying. Yeah. And now I look back, I'm like, well, that made a little too, <laughs> too much. But, <laughs> uh, right. but yeah. uh, uh, man, um, yeah, gosh, they, they, were, they were phenomenal. But you two brings a presence to the stage, like they're showmen. Yes. Like they know how to get it done and they never, never not bring it. Right. No, and they they knew that they're that you can sense that that they were very good at what they did, and they knew who they were, and they they brought that mm. big time. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, but yeah, I tell you, this social media stuff, man. I, God, yeah, I, I hope I hope that they're trending away from it, man. Because I mean, it's just 
you know, your 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 sense of self worth, like, got to come from within, right? Yeah. And and that goes back to your failures. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, I overcame this. Like, I I feel I I feel good about that that mm-hmm. I was able to overcome this, and and they'll be like, you know. <laughs> whatever adversity you experience when you you'll get to a point you know yeah it's, it, it stinks going through it. it's awful it's not fun mm. i can't tell you how many episodes like i've had that in my life but at some point later on i'm like man i'm glad i went through that because i'm now I'm, I'm able to help i'm able to handle this situation a lot better and with a lot more strength mm-hmm. and, and clarity than i did th- than i would have if, had i not gone through that uh, fascinating so important yeah. uh, it, and i think that there is where team is so like I really think that team sports and team itself has never been more important mm. than it is today, and I think there's so few there, there's less and less of team right. than there's ever been, and I think right. partly because of it is that team allows you to struggle or fail, but the safety net of the team, if if there's if they're properly right. coached, and almost everybody puts their best foot forward, so I'm not discounting right. that, is that you can get fail and then get back up again, right? And have the 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 group mindset. And as soon as more than a handful of people fail and everybody sees they get back up again, that unity right. of a team is so integral for these kids because mm-hmm. there's a different level of team in the business world. Right. And it's it's in some ways it's not that different uh at working for Apple or Tesla or whatever than it would be being the quarterback at, for the New York Giants which right. would be you got to bring it every day. No question. And you're going to f- you're yeah. going to fail some. Right. But in some ways that would mean if you're not failing you're not trying. Right. You know, and to learn that perseverance piece is uh is so critical and it's it's getting less and less. Yeah. All the time. And um, yeah. I want to get your opinion on mm-hmm. the the concussion piece and yeah. and, and, the, and the NFL and mm-hmm. the importance of football in the community of America, right? The football in the community of like Ensworth and, and a notoriously right. strong football program that yeah. we have here. Where is that line that you feel like there is between the huge benefits of the physical training and the physical working out, the mental toughness, mm-hmm. team growing together, doing things together, and this difficulty of these kids being bigger, faster, stronger right. than ever. The, da- the danger. And right. the danger of right. it. Um, I look at it this way. I mean, and this is coming from someone who obviously played a lot, a lot, a lot of football in his mm-hmm. career. Um I didn't have a big concussion history. Like I, I didn't like I had three I would consider significant. I missed time major. I don't know if you call them major, but enough where I had to miss time mm-hmm. concussions. You know, another dozen where oh my god, like something's not right. Like I know I'm kind of dinged, but I'm good enough to keep playing. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I'm not going to say anything. At least that. And that's as a quarterback. I can't imagine how many a linebacker. Like I think it happens weekly for those guys. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. within or within a game, like several times, which is kind of scary. Yeah. At the pro level, um, 
Um, I think they'll always be like kind of like myself who looked at football as a way out, as a way of um, going to college. Like my parents, we didn't have a lot of money. Like mm-hmm. it's gonna be hard for my parents to send me to college. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, so football was my best way to advance my life. Yeah. I mean, to, to create more opportunities for me in my sure. life. Right. Absolutely. The academically, you know, I mean, that's really what I was looking at. I mean, I really just want to go to college. Right. I want to get a scholarship because I knew it was, you know, and then things just happened to, to me from there. But, um, I think that, um, it's such a great game and that there's so many valuable lessons that, um, that you alluded to the teamwork, um, discipline, sacrifice. I mean, all those things, um, that, um, are so important for, for young men. And, um, you know, where, where does that play in the overall game, you know, the overall sport? I mean, you know why? Why do why do all those hits affect some people one way and some people another way? Some guys another way. So, um, yeah, if if you're playing and you start to have concussions at an early age, like probably not a, a good idea for you to continue playing football. Yeah. But at the same time, um, you know it. The, it's such a great game, and um, you know again, there's so many opportunities that that, that that can come come from it um that uh um you know i, I think i think it's important um so i guess i guess my point is you know uh, unless um you know you just see that 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 it that it's becoming a danger to you know it's becoming too dangerous from from a personal perspective yeah uh, you know I, if i if i had a son i don't i just have a daughter if I have a son, if I had a son, I mean, I would let him play football. Mm-hmm. I would let him play. Yeah. And just watch. You know what I mean? Be smart. Yeah. I mean, again, if he's, you know. But the, but the whole, you know, the whole CTE thing, it, it, like, why does one guy who, take two guys, okay, both played the same amount of football through high school, through played the same position, played the same amount of high, high school football, college football, pro football. Why does one develop CTE and why, do, why does one not? Why is one perfectly normal and perfectly healthy, and the other one, you know, is you know by the time he's in his mid forties? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's you know. that's an interesting piece that I not really ever thought about before. Yeah. It's <laughs> obviously someone's more predisposed, you know. Mm. And how do you? I think I think there's a test now that you can test for CTE while people are still alive. I th- I've heard that, mm-hmm. but up up until that point, I mean, nobody know. I mean, nobody yeah. knows how it's going to affect you. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Other than other than music, you know, I know you, obviously you played in some of the biggest games that there could possibly ever mm-hmm. be. But is there anything that you do in the sport world that you that you've done as a spectator or as a fan that was something you look back on as like that was awesome? Oh, let me think. Um, no, not no. Re- everything is kind of around football, you know. Yeah. Um, um, you know, no, not really. I mean, uh, I got to take, <laughs> I, mean, I got to take infield at the, at, at the vet when I was a kid oh, in Philly. Mm-hmm. 
little thing, but I mean, it's something I always, yeah, you know, that was cool. Was that back in the Schmidt era? Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember Ozzy Virgil, the catcher. Yeah, Ozzy Virgil walks out of the elevator. I'm like ten, walks out, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like he looked larger in life. Yeah, you know what I mean? that was Schmidt, like. Um, yeah, Luzinski, like, like all Larry, like all those guys. Yeah, Larry Boa made it. Larry Boa. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm just sifting through my baseball card collection in my head right now. Bake McBride, Gary Maddox, Gary Matthews. Yeah. Well, the Gary Maddox water covers two thirds of the earth. Gary Maddox covers the other third, man. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Uh, what a great. I mean, yeah. Grew up in Philly with Steve Carlton, your favorite pitcher. Absolutely. Yeah. We left him, man. That's my uh, my dad, because I was a left-handed pitcher. All right. And, I mean, I had baseball card after baseball card of yeah. Steve Carlton. Oh, my gosh. The uh, meanest slider in the business. Oh, he had that big curve, man. The thing started at your head and just finished on the outside corner. Oh, yeah. He was nasty. It was beautiful. And that, yeah. You know, I, I was a baseball player growing up, too. And that, really, basketball was my first love. Like, I wanted to play basketball. Uh-huh. Like, that was my first love. And, um Became, you know, as I got older, I mean, I still, I stayed a good basketball player, but I also got drafted in baseball. Um, you know, I was throwing 91, 92, you know, in strong arm and mm-hmm. got drafted by the Tigers out of high school. And, um, but, um, I kind of got bored with baseball, you know, I just didn't, you know, I was like, go to the minors and play for like 850 bucks a month or go to Penn State and play for Joe. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, what a real hard decision. Yeah, didn't, didn't seem like it. That's yeah. interesting. Well, as we head, as we finish up on the show, I always like to ask. This is the most unique one because of uh, just being such a, a great football player. Who was the greatest defensive player you faced? Wow, great question, Troy Polamalu. Troy Polamalu. What what made him so so awesome? Um, he was so unorthodox. And what he did, and he's so fast and so smart. Hmm. You always had to know where he was, and he was never where he was supposed to be. Hmm. And if he wasn't where, if if he was where he was supposed to be, if you didn't, if you weren't careful, he would be where you didn't want him to be. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Because he would watch. He was just. He he was so good at watching your eyes and hmm. and seeing the play, and you could tell the guy was a, a brilliant football player because he could see things. And he knew your trends, and he knew what you wanted to do with certain formations, certain plays. So if you blinked, like he, he could. And and not only that, but he was so he was f- physically gifted. I mean, fast. Um, he, he can make you know he's good. He make plays in the air. You know, make plays on the ball. Hmm. He was he was the most difficult that I had to play against. The other guy was Dion. Oh wow! Yeah, when Dion was in his prime, the, the way the Cowboys would play, and I played when he was, the Cowboys, like they would, he would just pick one guy and play him man to man the whole game. Shut him down. Well, we wouldn't even try to throw it to him. We just said we're going to play ten on ten. And just he was. I mean, obviously there was other great cornerbacks, but he seemed to be the very first shutdown. Yes. Corner. Yeah. Like nothing happened. No, and he didn't have to hold. He didn't have to like. He didn't. He wasn't a physical guy. Mm-mm. He was just so gifted. 
athletically. Like a lot of shut down cor- these shut down corners, f- very good holders. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, like Dion could just cover you, like a blanket. Like, like, like it was child's play. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, really. And I and I still had him in prime for a couple of years, but you know, I can't imagine, like. When he was with the Niners and in his first year, right. with the first two years of the Cowboys. That's when I, yeah, that's when I'm, yeah. Oh, my goodness. He was, the, yeah. He's, he's like, I got Jerry Rice. And then Steve Young would have to throw to John Taylor for like 17 times. No, oh, I'm telling you. <laughs> no, no question. Like, he was the he was a legit, legit like, shut down guy. Fastest guy you've ever seen, too? Chris Johnson's the fastest guy I've ever seen. Oh, really? Chris Johnson? Yeah. Guy could fly. Chris Chris was at a different level. Wow. Yeah. Like, Chris was at a different level. Still, I think he's got the fastest official time Chris, in the 40s. CJ? Yeah. Yeah. I think the fastest unofficial time, I don't know what that means, is Bo Jackson. Did you ever see Bo? No. No, he was just slightly he was earlier. That's right. earlier yeah. He was earlier than you. Yeah. Because right. he was done by 90, I think, in I football. That's right. Yeah. yeah. What a bummer. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. What a bummer. Um. Yeah, CJ just shock. He had shocking speed. Wow. Yeah, I mean, when when there's that big of a difference on a game day NFL, like like it was it was noticeable. He was by far the fastest guy on the field. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Who was the best wide receiver for you? Who showed up and did their work better than everybody else? It's a tie. A tie. Yeah, Amani Tumor and I kill you. Interesting, Amon yes. Tumor. Yes, uh, they're both different t- type of receivers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a three-way tie. Wesley Walls, was, su- yeah, super. Yeah, there's another steak and potatoes guy. Yeah, every day lined up, did yeah. his job, awesome. So the th- um, the the thing they all had in common was um, unbelievable competitors. There's really unbelievable competitors. Hmm. And um, they all took it upon him personally, like, to give me a, a place to throw the ball to him. Like, it was personal to them. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wesley um, Wesley and Imani were, were very similar in a way that they, they could have guys hanging on them and – Find a way to to just get their hands up at the last second and make it make it make a catch, make mm. a tough catch. Yeah, they could look like they're they're all out of whack and they're stumbling around. All of a sudden, they just you know, and that's a gift. Like <laughs> not everybody can do that. <laughs> that's right. And body control, I carry I carried probably the smartest football player I've ever played with. Wow. Um. Really understood coverages, knew how to get up. Wasn't the fastest guy. May have been the shiftiest and quickest though I played against. I mean, he had he had moves to get open like unlike anybody. I've ever seen. Really, really smart. Really, um, you know, had a good understanding of space and how to how to how to manipulate defensive backs and their hips and get them turned and um, get in and out of breaks. Um, you know, and that's saying something because I mean, I play with Randy. I play with Randy out in Oakland. Yeah. And um, um, you know, uh, those guys were just. They were so reliable. Like, you just knew what you were getting every time mm-hmm. with those guys. You know? I mean, you just you just knew. 
And um, for me as a quarterback, you know, to have somebody that dependable, I mean, that's huge. Oh, yeah. It's huge. And they were both on your Giants teams, right? Yes. And Wesley was with you at the Carolina. Port, the Carolina. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine uh, all the things that you've had the opportunity to see, uh, especially, you know, as, as most fans always wonder, like, what would it be like to be the quarterback of a Super Bowl team? Or what would it be like to stand in front of a microphone singing your favorite, like the greatest song your band's ever right. sang and have 80,000 people sing it back to you? So thank you for sharing your your yeah. life and experiences with me here on The Verge. I can't thank you enough, Gary. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Have a good one, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, Chrome Soft isn't just another tour ball. It's the golf ball that's changing how tour balls are made. When Callaway made a low compression, low spin tour ball, others said they might be onto something and tried to do the same. But they can, because Chrome Soft is the only ball engineered with graphene infused, dual soft fast core for serious speed and unbelievable control around the greens. See for yourself why everyone is playing and loving Chrome Soft. Order the ball that changed the ball at CallawayGolf.com.